truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. Thank you for tuning in. 888-900-3393 is the number here to Blaze TV radio and podcast. 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email us there, steve at stevedace.com or like us on Facebook. Well, good luck trying. Or follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And for those of you listening today via Blaze, T- Blaze Radio or podcast, uh, you would be watching on TV. Those of you listening via Blaze Radio and podcast, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us one of those five-star reviews, we would be very, very grateful because the more of those we get, the more of those all-knowing and all-powerful algorithms help us to find more people like you and then the more likely we are to get to continue to do this rather than find out just how good the job market and the Trump economy really is, because this is about all we can do. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, if you're looking for a faith-based alternative to Disney+, Plus, we'll be talking about that. We'll have our weekly rendition of Fake News or Not as well as some Pop Culture Tuesday. I, I read a piece in Variety, which I, I have to tell you is not, you know, on uh, one of my bookmarks on Twitter, but I saw this trending because it's a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And, and it's a, it's not just something that I want to talk about because it's a totally self-serving topic because it's, it's something that is important to me on a pop culture level. But I also think it, it speaks volumes of, of, of the false choices that we're being offered uh, in terms of some of the storytelling we're seeing. And I want to talk about that coming up a little bit later on as well. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by abolishing the Electoral College, which is apparently something that a major Democratic candidate for president is now running on. As a presidential candidate, what are your thoughts on the Electoral College? Uh, I want to get rid of it. So here's my goal. My goal is to get elected and then to be the last American president elected by the Electoral College. Um, I just think this is how a democracy should work. Pete Buttigieg released a new ad aimed at South Carolinians. In our White House, you won't have to shake your head and ask yourself, whatever happened to I was hungry and you fed me? I was a stranger and you welcomed me. When I say we've got to unify the American people, It doesn't mean pretending that we're all the same. It means unifying around issues from wages and family leave to gun violence and immigration. A new morning consult poll of Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada shows Joe Biden leading the pack with 25% of the vote. Bernie Sanders is in second place at 20%, while Pete Buttigieg lags behind in third with 13%. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is breaking with Trump and his allies by appointing Kelly Loeffler to fill the U.S. Senate seat left vacant by Senator Johnny Isaacson, who is retiring at the end of the year for health concerns. Loeffler is a co-owner of the WNBA Atlanta team. Trump allies wanted Representative Doug Collins, who ain't the most conservative dude either. 
Brian Kemp took to Twitter to defend his decision. Quote, I stand with hardworking Georgians and president of the United States. The idea that I would appoint someone to the U.S. Senate that is not pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, pro-freedom, and 100% supportive of our president and his plan to keep America great is ridiculous, end quote. President Trump is in London ahead of his meeting with some NATO leaders. He talked about his plans with the trade war against China. The China trade deal is dependent on one thing. Do I want to make it? I have no deadline, no. In some ways, I think it's better to wait till after the election. You want to know the truth? Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg talked with CBS about political ads on his social media platform and said this horrifying thing. What I believe is that in a democracy, it's really important that people can see for themselves what politicians are saying so that they can make their own judgments. And, you know, I don't think that a private company should be censoring politicians or news. But a small group of your employees, about 200, wrote a letter saying that they wish that you would reconsider because they said free speech and paid speech are not the same. Do they have a point? Well, this is a, clearly a very complex issue, and a lot of people have, have a lot of different opinions. At the end of the day, um, I, I just think that in a democracy, people should be able to see for themselves uh, what politicians are saying. Even if the ads are containing false information. That's the, I that's think that the people issue. should be able to judge for themselves the character of politicians. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, I can't think for myself. No puedo pensar por mí mismo. Now this, the popular video featurette website, posted this video about the Daily Wire. A toxic right-wing website is gaming Facebook to reach millions of people in advance of the 2020 election. And Facebook is letting them get away with it. The Daily Wire, which was founded by conservative pundit Ben Shapiro, pushes inaccurate and incendiary stories. Recent content from the Daily Wire claimed gender equality is a lie, LGBTQ people don't want to be accepted by society, and there's not anything that can be done to combat climate change. The Daily Wire is also the 11th most popular publication on Facebook, beating out established names like ABC, CBS, NPR, and USA Today. And that actually understates how well The Daily Wire does on Facebook. Outlets like The New York Times employ hundreds of journalists who produce well over 10,000 pieces of content a month. The Daily Wire has just a few dozen employees that produce much less. On a per-article basis, content from the Daily Wire is shared far more often than any other outlet. And finally, with winter weather already here, it's time to pull out this gem of a man-on-the-street interview. I said, what are you doing running? And you're saying it was really good out? It's the perfect texture for running. Very low impact on its dry snow so your feet don't get wet. Stay warm. All right, thanks. We've seen a lot of people out here, like you said, running, sledding, just enjoying it. One thing, oops. And that's what happened while we were away. All right, let's 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 get to the rundown here, shall we? Um, do you know? Does anybody know? Is the uh, is is the Daily Wire? Is it traded publicly? I'm just just asking for a friend. <laughs> just asking for a friend, and remind me I got to make a call during the break. Talk to my uh, yeah my advisor. Maybe he can answer that question again. Just asking for a friend. 
do you, I, I don't know what now this is. I had to, yeah, I, I, I asked you before the show. I've never it's, heard it's of it. It's very popular, and I say very yeah. popular. I mean, it's 16 million likes on their main page yeah, on Facebook, yeah. 2.5 million followers on on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, it's chances are you've seen it now. This video, okay. but that it's a, but it's, but it's, it's from another country. Yeah. It, yeah. It's from the left America, yeah. right? All mm-hmm. right, so yeah, I, I don't. That's a foreign country. I don't. I don't live there, so you know, I don't know what's popular. Just like I don't know what's popular in Belgium. And I don't know what's trending in Portugal. I don't live there either. You know, I live in the what's left of America. So I don't know what's going on in left America. That's a whole different country. But I'll take your word for it that they have some uh, some juice and, uh, you know, over in that foreign land. But I'll say this. If you work at the Daily Wire right now. And, you know, Ben, I'm not trying to make your job harder. OK. But if you work if you're one, what do you say about a dozen or so employees? Yeah. That he said, if you're one of those dozen or so employees working underneath Ben Shapiro right now at the Daily Wire, and you're not in his office this morning, asking for a raise, after what level of promotional video that lefty out, outfit put out about you guys, and and the amount of havoc you're wreaking with your with with, with your modest sized staff, then. You clearly just don't really believe in the principles of capitalism and individual autonomy that you are espousing over there on a daily basis at the Daily Wire. Because Ben Shapiro's inbox text message, hey, Ben, uh, what are you doing? Uh, What are you doing after lunch today? He should be getting a lot of those today. You get a car. Yes. And you get a car. After, yes, after a promotional video like that, are you kidding me? You're all underpaid. That's the message I got from that. I don't know about you guys. But I, I, you know, um, the idea, and 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 this this correlates perfectly with the interview. Is that Gail King? Is that her name? Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Doing the yes. inter- doing the interview with Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. The perfect correlation. The idea that you that first of all, stop and think about this for a moment. Let's take a step back. I've I've made this uh, made this point on the show in the past. I want to make it again that you've never ever. Had someone walk up to you and say, hi, I'm, I'm part of the Twitter mob. No one's, you ever met that person? No. No. No, one ever, no one's ever come up to me at an airport. And I've had some people come up to me at airports and say some weird poo. All right. No one's ever said to me, though, hi, I'm from the social media mob. And I, I ratioed you last week. All right. We are, we are a country literally surrendering to faceless mom's basement dwellers. That's that, and, that, and, and, that, and what does that have to do with this? Everything. Because what... What we're saying here, if, if you're Gail King and that ilk, is, Mr. Zuckerberg, don't you think your 23-year-old algorithm engineers should be able to decide uh, what news the uh, 360 million people in the United States are able to read, see, and share? How utterly ridiculous is that? And it, it would be ridiculous no matter what the worldview is. That is, it is, it is a ridiculous sentiment. You're not serious about being a free people. If, if you believe, regardless of the ideology being pushed, a small batch of a couple dozen young people who are likely not married or have no children, have never been fired from a job, built a business, have never lived any aspect of what an adult life actually is yet. And, and the biggest concern they have is, will the Trump trade war raise the cost of my avocado toast? And is it, is it, is it orange theory 
um, you know, or some other, you know, trendy gym membership club. I don't know. I don't know where to decide. They're both in the strip mall down the street. The idea that this is the group out there in Silicon Valley that should decide what everybody sees, shares, and reads is so undeniably ridiculous that the only reason leftists are even postulating this is because it's the last hope they have. They've lost the information battle. And this is the only hope they have. And remember I told you last month, Twitter dropping political ads had nothing to do had nothing to do with wanting honesty on Twitter. 80% of Twitter accounts are outside the U.S., which means only 20% are here. And it is the more lefty progressive forum. Facebook, even, even my kids joke now, my, even, I'm not even a boomer. My kids give me an okay boomer when I talk about posting stuff on Facebook. All right. <laughs> Facebook is where the Gen X and the baby boom, that is their social media haunt. And, that, and, the, and those are the generations more likely to vote Republican. That's what this was about. It was about creating an aura of isolation around Facebook, which is still by far the biggest social media giant. With over 80% of Americans have a Facebook account. Less than 20% of Americans, or only 20% of Americans have a Twitter account. And the percentage of those that are on it regularly or have 100 followers or more is in the single digits. The reality is that if the president wasn't able to use this as his primary vehicle to get around the media narratives every day, the, the amount of value Twitter would have to anybody outside of the left America, unless you like to follow sports or things of that nature, where you're just using it for uh, a, a news aggregator, but the amount of opinion sharing it would, it would have without the presence of Donald Trump um, among anybody in the what's left of America, it's, it's literally, it would just be a bunch of lefties talking to themselves. That's all it would be. Facebook is where the majority of people who vote Republican that are on social media hang out. And, and communicate with one another. That's, and, and that now this is telling you that I was right. Gail King doing that interview. Think about this is a, this is a, 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 a journalist literally saying, can, can you cut, would you please be willing to cut down on the amount of information that people are allowed to see? Because she's not a journalist. She's a hacktivist because she represents a foreign country. That is trying to invade you as we speak. That's what this is about. She's essentially, let me, let me put this in another context. She's essentially, she, she, is, she is sitting down with an, a, a, a platform that, rep, that is accessed by multiple parties that are at war with one another. And, and, and does business by provi- and, and does good business and makes lots of money by providing that platform. Like say a Swedish bank. Let's go with that, or a Swiss bank, I mean. Let's go with a Swiss bank. This is essentially like asking a Swiss bank to stop transactions of the hostile government you're at war with. That's what she's doing. They're not journalists, you know this. They're not interested in the, in the flow of information. They're interested in the control of it. 
and what, and the fact that this is the last play they have left now. Can we please get a bunch of avocado toast aficionados in a boil in a in a in a in a in, a, uh, in cubicles in Silicon Valley? Can we please get them to decide what is what is shared and said and 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 read on Facebook? If if they're if that's the card they're playing here, and what is it, December third? So we are we are what now? When is the election next year? November, I want to say seventh. Yeah, I, okay. or ninth, isn't it? Is it is it later? Okay, so we're roughly three hundred and fifty days, or three hundred and forty days until the presidential election. Third, November third. So it's early. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's. Wow. Okay. So roughly 330 days until the presidential election. They're already signaling to you that they know they've lost the information war. They know this. They, they, they've lost all control over this. And this is the card they're going to play now. Todd, your thoughts on this? Well, this is not a new game. Uh, and the fact that it is new just reinforces what you're talking about, that they keep playing it. Uh, a game that hasn't really been working all that well is still the hand they play because the alternative is just untenable. I mean, newspapers for a long time have been transitioning, and it happened while I was there at the Des Moines Register, away from, you know, versions of, you know, tell both sides of every story to, well, now and the Register just put out an ad about how we stand for the truth. They're like, we're not going to get both sides. You mean the local newspaper? Excuse the Des Moines Register. We're not going to do it. Uh, if both, if one side is false, we're not, we're, cause we're in the business of truth here. So, and it's amazing. All those arbiters of truth happen to look like Mr. Judd over there, who I just, I'm like Steve. Apparently I'm old and I don't know things because I, I've never, I'm on the other side of that, that chick who'd never heard Van Halen's trending because a 17 year old chick I'd never heard of. Yeah. I asked you guys yesterday, why is Van Halen trending number one? And it's because some she had never singer I'd never heard exactly. of was on a show that I, I've never watched saying she had no idea who, you know, who they were. Well, people right? who you've that. never heard of like Judd. Now this guy I, I, is, is this now. This name does sound familiar to me. Is this the guy that went after Steven Crowder? Is that who this guy is, or is this somebody else? Are, are you talking about the now this video? Yes. Oh no. Okay, so no, then I I've, I had no idea. I I'd never heard of this particular guy. Okay, before, then I had actually. no idea who this guy was either until ten minutes ago. Well, th- this guy is just a perfect oligarch. He wants to be amongst those yes. elites that decide for you what to think i mean he's just a perfect apparatchik of the long march through the institutions and that got them as far as they could get but now what they're doing is i mean this is like uh they're winterizing around the overton window now you know they got that thing it's an old (laughs) window now and they got to keep that thing sturdy and this is how they're doing it Yes, and this is this is part and parcel. And, and the Elizabeth Warren uh, abolish the electoral college thing. That's that's not a new sentiment. I mean, Stacey Abrams, even though she was lost a statewide election, has been on this uh, since. I mean, that's that's her shtick now. That's that's her grift. It's abolish the electoral college. It's racist and classist. But that's it. You know, it's two sides of the same uh, coin. Of course, they want to control the flow of information and then get a, do away with any any form of uh, accountability to certain sectors of the country that they would like to ignore, uh, ignore. And that's what abolishing the Electoral College would do uh, for them and to them. But those are two sides of the same uh, coin. Once you control the flow of information, which they've already marched through the institutions and they can still do uh, very effectively, although the, the the Internet has made that a lot harder in recent years. 
once they've uh, you know marched through the institutions, if they have a direct vote uh, and they want to take us to a straight up democracy, that's that's the plan, guys. That's all part of the plan, so that they can have a fig leaf of having mandates from people when they're controlling their. Boy, I sound like a, I sound like a, a, an Alex Jim. But when you control pop culture, you really do control, and you have a great deal of sway. We've been through this before about how people think, the, the Overton window that Todd is talking about. So the first story there, and then the two stories about uh, Facebook, you know, those are those are two sides of the same coin. The Electoral College is never getting abolished, by the way. Never happening. Because here's the thing, we will descend into a civil war, a real one, before they ever, if, if, before they ever have the amount of states that would do this. Okay, and, and that was one of the reasons the Electoral College was created in the first place, was to avoid things like that from happening. Okay, so that, that, that's, that is um, flag-burning amendments for the left. That, that's what it is. It, it's, it's, it's nice fundraising talk, um, and, it, and, and that's their form of patriotism, is to get, you know, of, of, or I should say jingoism, is to abolish the Electoral College. It's never happening. It just like, you know, the, the, when you can tell when Republicans are out of things to talk about, when they dangle the flag burning amendments in front of you. OK, it's never happening, guys. You, you'll there will be violence in the streets of America before they were able to obtain the amount of states that would over that would take that out of the Constitution because of what that would ultimately mean. You're not just going to sit here. People aren't just going to sit here in Galveston, Texas. And decide that because Hillary Clinton won the state of California by two million votes, you t- they get to they get to disarm you. They're not going to do that, right? That so the the electoral college is never going away. It, America will go away before the electoral college does. I'm much more confident that America will go away before the electoral college. By the way, you look doubtful of that, Todd. No, I'm just struck by you're calling you, you. What you're saying is violence will happen. Before the Electoral College happens, and I'm stuck here in my spirit thinking, I pray you're right. Yeah. You know, that's where mm. we are at. You, they, they, I, I pray we still have the resolve to grab the jawbone of an ass. I don't necessarily predict either one will ever happen. I think this is all just kvetching, flag-burning amendment, kvetching, throwing you know red meat out to their base. But if, but if they ever seriously mobilized a state-by-state effort to do this— you would see the country descend into a civil war before the Electoral College was abolished because people aren't just going to sit in, in a place like um, Galveston, Texas or uh, Greenville, South Carolina and just decide, you know what, you're right, Be, you know, uh, because Hillary Clinton won California by three million votes and we lost the and, and, and New York and California by three million votes and we lost the popular votes. I guess I give my kid gender assignment surgery now. People aren't going to do that. That's why the that's why the electoral college was created in the first place was to avoid things like this from happening. This echoes what you said last week. I don't remember the topic. It might have been some sort of transgender version, but we're it, it's to the point about violence, which a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with. Some people just need to get punched in the mouth, and it's a righteous cause. There's, there's no way around sometimes it. Sometimes Nehemiah does need to say, you know what, Lord, I beat these yes. people and I pulled their beards out for you. Remember me for what I did. Yes. Every now and then. Every now and then. Yes, that does need to occur. And even, even, even the Savior who died for all of us, when he comes back, it will be with a robe dipped in blood and a sword in his mouth. And it ain't going to be to buy the world a Coke, brother. It ain't going to be for that. All right? More. Um, those of you that are uh, incensed, and if you know anybody... You know, we haven't used this term very much anymore. But if you know anybody in Trump cult, 
that is that is that is losing their poo that the governor of Georgia would dare defy the president's expressed wishes and not appoint Congressman Doug Collins to the empty uh, Senate seat in the state of Georgia. As of October 31st, and we haven't updated it since then because Congress hasn't done anything for the last two months except impeachment. It has done well, literally nothing. Shocker. It's done nothing in November and December other than impeachment is all that it's done. All right. Uh, well, I take that back. I might, let me correct. They took vacations. So other than taking vacations and impeachment, Congress has done nothing for the, you know, for the last month and a half. So through October 31st, Congressman Doug Collins, I'm looking at his current Liberty score. Would you like to know what it is? Ask. Somebody ask me. Please. I I, I want to give this answer so bad. Somebody please ask me. Please, Steve, what is what is Congressman Doug Collins' liberty score in office? Somebody ask me, please. It's Kaga Plus. Negative integers? Just ask me. Just say, Steve, what is it? Steve, what's uh, Congressman Collins? I'm glad you asked. Right now is not the time for infighting. I just want to get it. (laughs) I'm I'm glad that you asked. Are you ready? No. What state is he from again? Massachusetts, California, Georgia, Oregon. So, oh, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Yes, you got Georgia on my mind. Are you ready for this? This is gonna. The devil is going down to Georgia, isn't he? Uh, he's he he he, he done wit. Forty eight percent F. Forty eight percent F is Doug Collins' liberty score. F, 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 F as in, ah, you know the rest, 48% F from Georgia. But hey, I'm, I'm sure because he tweeted something about the deep state once and, and said to Trump, hey, I, I, I think your, your comb over today is particularly scenic. Hell yeah, point him to the Senate, why not, right? Why not? That's how we roll around here, right? 48% F. F. Todd, ask me again. Ask, you just no. ask me again. No. Aaron, ask me. Please ask me. Please. I just, hey, just, what's, I need... his, what's, his, uh, what's his score? Yeah. Doug Collins, in case you didn't know, by the way, if you're just tuning in. Not that I want to rub it in at all. At all. Not that I'm into that at all. But... His Liberty score, 48% F, Aaron. Did you know that? No. Did you know? Hey, that's twice as, that's twice as good as at least Stefanik, new conservative hero trademark. Yes. Uh, 24%. She was at 24%. So we're moving up. We're, we're moving on up. Yes. Yeah. You're not to being... the F side. Yes, we are. Yes. Just like there's. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Yes. There's many definitions of gender. Similarly, there's many definitions of liberty, Steve. You're this being a, a little it, confining it, here. We, we, you know, that's right. We went from Elise Stefanik, who couldn't even bring herself to vote for the Trump tax cuts. We've gone from F minus to F plus. So, uh, you know what? Um, uh, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good exactly. here, Todd. Exactly. You know, how, you know how this works? That, I mean, Doug Collins, Elise Stefanik, lesser tweevils go. Come on. You know. Right. I mean, the person who's my 52% enemy isn't my, or my 48% friend can't be my 52% enemy. <laughs> we haven't done this in a while. I miss this talk. I love this. 
You know why? Because it it makes all the right people mad. All of you team GOP pukes. Gosh, I love offending you. Hold on. Grandma. 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 Okay. Sometimes I like offending you guys a little too much. 48%. Now, I, I got to tell you, I'm really dubious about what kind of Liberty score an owner of a WNBA team is going to come up with. You know Why what I'm saying? Why would you say that? <laughs> I, just, I mean, I hate to typecast or stereotype here, you know, but uh, I'm a little dubious. You know, could be surprised. But something tells me it won't be much worse than 48% F. So there's that. Morning consult. Um, one of the lowest ranked pollsters, by the way, at 538. They're a C pollster. That's bad. That's Politico's polling firm. And dude, they're like the they're like Joe Biden's Rasmussen. Okay. I mean, they they have, you know, they'll, they'll, you'll get like like when all the national polls had Elizabeth Warren catching Joe Biden in the fall. Like the next morning, Politico, Joe Biden has a 97-point lead. I mean, they they had some like ridiculous polling. They they are in the tank for Uncle Joe. Here's why, though, their numbers matter. If they're in the tank for Uncle Joe, and I'm just telling you because you know I follow yeah. this stuff closely. They're in yeah. the tank. In fact, when they talk, when Morning Consult calls you on the phone for, it sounds like this because they're so far down into the tank. They're calling you from inside the Biden tank at the bottom. That's where Morning Consult is. So if they're producing a poll that shows them with only a five-point lead after they have put through the fortuitous Morning Consult Biden bounce and the best they came up with was a five-point lead, yikes. More in a moment. You know, one of the things that's been fascinating uh, with Disney Plus, do you, do you, have you guys gotten it yet? Do you guys have it yet? Yeah. You have it? Uh, you, do you have it yet, Aaron? No. You don't have it I yet? I do not. Okay. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Todd. I, I'm, it's fascinating to see um, the difference in some of the themes and the way those themes and values are presented with the classic Disney stuff that we grew up on compared to some of the stuff that you see. Now, you know, we watched the live action version of Dumbo over Thanksgiving weekend. Hadn't seen that. You know, they did a great job with that. But, you know, just some of the stuff, particularly the daily shows and stuff that they put on for kids and things of that nature. And you don't really, I think, get a true picture of, of some of that divide until you put all of this body of stuff together. And you have, you watch the, yet you have your kids watch the Disney stuff that you and I grew up watching on Sunday nights in the, in the world of Disney on, you know, on, on, I think that was on ABC when we were kids compared to like, you put in the uh, Sons of Liberty movie that Walt Disney did about the American revolution. And, and you watch that compared to some of the stuff that Disney produces now in a more, you know, modern context. And it's like, this is a totally different company and studio, right? It is. And, and maybe that's... We, we, my, <laughs> have you guys noticed this as well when you put all that stuff together and you just see some of those differences? My wife and I and my two youngest watched Old Yeller. Yo. Yeah. I mean, different planet, different 
planet. So our our guest here today, Eric Goss, uh, he comes from this digital streaming world, uh, having uh, having worked previously at Amazon, and he and and his folks over at a company called Minnow are launching a product to kind of answer this chasm that we're talking about. All right, uh, a streaming service exclusively with family friendly, uh, faith based. Uh, not all of it, not all of it's faith-based, Eric, but it's, it's welcome yeah. on the platform here, uh, including like the classic veggie tales that my kids grew up watching and things of that nature. Welcome to our show today, Eric. And I understand you're a Michigan uh, grad. So go blue. We have a big basketball go game blue. tonight, brother. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. So I mentioned a little bit of your background. Tell our audience a little bit more wh- where you come from into this space. Yeah, so I started my career actually in the Navy. I went to Naval Academy and was a helicopter pilot and then left and went to business school at Michigan. And after business school, ended up at Amazon during some very formative days um, early in the the life of the company, just after they'd gone public. And uh, for family reasons, moved back to Nashville and got involved in um, looking at the entertainment space and recognizing that there wasn't really anything in the market for parents who really valued faith um, and was really looking for you know content that reflected the things that they cared most deeply about. I think what's so hard is um, culture and society have changed so much, and media has actually led to a lot of that change with kind of the narratives that you see even in children's programs as you just brought up. And a lot of parents are saying, you know, where are the stories that I grew up with? Where are the stories for my kids that reflect the things that I care most about? And so as we are listening to parents, we recognize that there was a real need in the marketplace, and that led us to launch Menno. And so we uh, we started our efforts just a little over a year ago, and we just launched Minnow two weeks ago, and uh, and it's off to a really great start. Before we get to why you guys, what you guys are doing with Minnow, let, let's talk about why you you've you've you've, appro- you've broached this a little bit. Why you thought there was a need for this in the marketplace? Do you think these platforms are intentionally? Um, attempting to undermine this kind of content or dissuade you from getting access to it? Or is or is this more of just a reaction to where they think the culture is actually at? You know, next hour, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, Variety's got a story up today about my all-time favorite pop culture figure, Superman. I mean, I didn't grow up in the best home. Uh, we didn't grow up in a religious home at all. And so for me, as a secular kid growing up, before I came to faith, he was really the masculine role model for me. And next mm-hmm. hour, we're going to talk about how Variety has a story over the weekend that Warner Brothers has no clue with how to make this character, quote, relatable. And while I, why I think that's a, that's a false choice. So how much of this is just their own reading of the marketplace that hey, people don't really want this content anymore? And then how much of it do you think is an intentional act to rid the market of this kind of content? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's as much intentional as it's sort of a, a, a consequence of the fact that you don't have a lot of people in leadership to these companies who care about a lot of the values of, you know, what they refer to as flyover states. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you think about the fact that there are about 100 million people that go to church on a weekly basis, you know, when I was at Amazon, it'd be hard to find someone who went to church, um, especially in senior leadership. And so what happens is they're making decisions about what 
um, how they're making investment decisions about what type of programming gets funded. And they're going to fund the type of stories that they feel most comfortable with or the ones that reflect the things that they care about. And so it becomes a lot more challenging. Um, and I, I've talked to a lot of producers who um, want to do programming that's more conservative or reflect, um, you know, Christian values, and they can't even get an audience, or they're told, "Hey, we're not really interested in that." Um, there was <laughs> there was one instance where there was a program that I know got denied by um, you know one of the big tech media companies because it was viewed as being too wholesome, and so <laughs> um, and 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 so it's you know it it's it's tough because there's some people out there who want to tell great stories and stories that are very similar to the stories that we grew up with. Like I, I, uh, I loved your reference to the wonderful world of Disney because my family tuned in every Sunday night on mm -hmm. ABC. Um, but, the, you know, those stories don't really exist the way that they do today. And culture's changed a lot. And so I, I do think it's challenging because um, the key question is, what does it mean to communicate stories that reflect today's reality, but with a narrative that reflects the values that we care most deeply about? And there's there's not necessarily organizations out there that are funding that type of programming and allowing those type of stories to be told. So then you come from the marketing world. Um, how difficult was it? Because on one hand, there you there's a demonstrated desire for this kind of content, right? You know, my my friend Ted Bear over at Movie Guide puts out the list every year of uh, an, an It's an <clears throat> pardon me. It's an annual list he puts out every year analyzing the most successful movies at the box office. And it's always the one, or it's always the ones that have the the broadest based themes of redemption, good over evil, things of that nature. Albeit maybe you know with the language and thing and themes that we are more accepting of in the 21st century than in other eras. But the the truths behind them are timeless. I think of what's the number one grossing movie of all time is is you know uh, Avengers Endgame, and what is the culmination of that is you know love knows no greater love than this than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Tony Stark lays down sacrificially lays down his life for his friends. Right? Right? So the timeless truths that are contained in there, and every year Ted comes out with the study that shows these are the movies people want to see, not the Cider House rules or hey, you know, uh, you know, whatever Roman Polanski's cooking up, you know, you know, from from whatever he's hiding out in exile these days. So we know there's a market for this, but the distributors are thinking there's not. So how hard was it for you to get this off the ground, given that disconnect? Uh, well, it was difficult. I mean, our funding basically comes from private investors um, here in the Nashville market and then also um, from Silicon Valley. And, and there are people who care deeply about programming um, for people of faith and people who care about conservative values. And so, um, you know, within if I'm talking to institutional investors or people who are sort of in the mainstream market from an institutional investment standpoint, um, there's it's really hard to get traction because there's a sense of does this audience really exist? Mm -hmm. um, do they care? And and you know, as you brought up, a lot of the distributors know that there's a market here, but the way to get to that market isn't easy. It's not the type of marketing that they are actually really used to. And so, you know, if you think about a film like I Can Only Imagine last year, which was one of the, the best performing independent films, um, you know, typically a lot of the large studios are left scratching their heads on how did that succeed and where is that audience? And so, um, and, and so they just don't have experience 
experience talking to that audience. And again, most of the people in senior leadership um, at those studios don't, um, you know, they, they didn't grow up um, in the type of communities that we're in. Um, and therefore, they, you know, they don't really have the values or care about the same things that um, those communities care about. Well, you saw this after the success, the, the most successful independent film of all time is Mel Gibson's The Passion. Right, so that, yep. that film made well over three hundred million just domestically. Okay, and it, it, it had to be independent because Mel could not get a distributor for that film, so he had to do it himself. And 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 so you saw the studios kind of look at that and react to it. And so over the next decade, they rushed, they put together big budget productions of Noah's Ark uh, and a retelling of the Ten Commandments film. And what did but what did they do with those films? I mean, Noah's Ark, they hired a, a virulent, you know, atheist activist uh, to direct to, to direct that film and turned essentially they redid The Shining. They just made Russell Crowe, Jack Nicholson, you know, all work and no play makes Noah a dull boy. I mean, that's really what that, that film is. Is and it's completely heretical. And then you know, in the in the Ten Commandments redo movie, they, they, you know, God is a petulant ch- you know child, and and Noah may have bipolar disassociative order, and he's not sure he's talking to God or not. And that's where people like me are like, you cannot be this rich and this dumb. So you must be doing this to us on purpose. That's why I asked that question, Eric. Yeah, well, and I, it, it's difficult because I think whenever there's a success that um, that people don't really understand, it's very easy to think, okay, there's a simple formula that can be reverse engineered, and and there's a sense that it's an audience to exploit um, rather than to serve. Mm-hmm. And and I think the key challenge is there's often like, okay, let's in other words, you serve story. them the content you want them to have, not the content that they actually want. That's the difference between serving and exploiting, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and and what's interesting is if you if you look at what goes on with comic books with the Avengers mythology, um, you know they are very concerned about the source material details and yeah. the source material. Yeah. And yet, when they look at um, the source material for biblical films, they are very loose with it. They're like, I don't really like that story, and so there's a sense of kind of manipulating or changing the narrative to fit the things that they're more comfortable with, not recognizing that that source material like we care deeply about it mm-hmm. and we're not going to show up unless it's reflected on the screen so tell us about the content that's available for folks if they want to sign up for minnow yeah so for minnow we've got um we've got over 2500 different types of episodes um, that families can enjoy um, the content's pr- uh, set up uh, primarily for preschool to late elementary so um you know from two to three years of age all the way up to you know 11 or 12. and um and the whole goal is to have a catalog that families can enjoy that reflect you know faith and values and so there's educational content there there's content that's more um you know biblical based if folks want to take a look at that and then there's a lot of shows that are just fun we also have the largest collection of classic veggie tales and so if you're in the mood for veggie tales and want to check that out we're the best place in the marketplace to 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 see those uh old veggie tales episodes that you grew up with and so um you can check it out there's we offer a free trial and so it's monthly at 6.99 or annually for 69 dollars um and it's available on all your mobile devices so you can look for minnow kids at at, uh, in the app store at apple google amazon or roku um, or you can go to our website gomeno.com and check it out did you have any problems getting carriage carriage with those uh, distributors those platforms you just mentioned for this content and I, we've not had any difficulty getting carriage there other than what I consider to be sort of the typical difficulty of being a small company sure. dealing with 
very large companies. Um, I will say that there, it, it's interesting from an advertising standpoint. Um, you know, there is some real sensitivity around anything that that might communicate religious uh, sensibilities, and I do get concerned about that. Only because you know what some people value as sacred, other people value as um, you know as as uh, you know <laughs> hate speech or something that uh, mm-hmm. reflects you know c- c- you know something that's not tolerated. And I think that can be really difficult as we're starting to think about advertising on large platforms. Well, Eric, good luck with this. Godspeed. Um, I'm excited to see people step into this sphere. Uh, we talk about it on our show all the time. This is the city gate of the 21st century is, is pop culture. This is, it, it is the most influential platform in America today. It is more influential than the classroom, than the boardroom, than the kitchen table. Um, it's, it's, it's where more hearts and minds are reached than anywhere else. And I think we absolutely have to be playing in this space. And so I'm, I'm excited to see uh, startups and platforms like yours launch. And if there's whatever we can do to help you guys be successful, please don't hesitate to ask, all right? Steve, really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on today and I completely agree with you. We're really excited about uh, creating a imagination in the life of kids that can really imbue a, a view of great society, a great culture. Plus, it doesn't help or doesn't hurt that you're a Michigan fan and, and we really need to comfort each other right now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. God bless and go blue. All right. All right. Go blue. All right. Take care. Your thoughts, gentlemen, on that conversation. Well, uh, my family demographic has bypassed what he said up applies but i'm certain that i would have gone out and gotten this if uh i had two uh you know three to six year olds now just as quickly as i would have gotten a disney plus probably even uh more quickly i mean steve is absolutely right that store we're not writing the large russian novel anymore great stories are being told through the television medium and kids learning in an early age what those great stories are uh without us having to you know basically being like a flip of a coin and what not only that like do we when do we have to worry about hannah montana becoming who she really became you know mm-hmm. things like that this when this my is kids a, have been watching some of those old my girls have the yeah. old reruns from when they were kids on disney plus it and it is surreal to see what what she has become in yeah. real time, it is surreal to watch this. Yeah. It, it's like it's like she never was this role. It's like you know, you know, right. it's like this was a we're watching a show from a from Earth Two. Yeah, and when you can basically now have this this place that has done a lot of the homework for you. I mean, you still need to be a discerning parent and not just you know park them there for hours on end. But this will be undeniably helpful for a lot of parents. I'm looking at some of the numbers they've put out, Aaron, in their marketing materials. Mm-hmm. And um, 100 million self-identified Christians go to church weekly in the United States. 16 million Christian families with pre-K to fifth grade kids attend church weekly. 32 million Christian families with pre-K to fifth grade kids attend church monthly. The market for Christian product or for children's products in America every year is about $30 billion dollars. And the market for Christian products in America is is roughly uh, around four to five million, five billion dollars. I mean, there there is a, there is a market there that well, to be served with stuff like this. I'm glad you went there because that's where I was kind of going to go. You dropped the term, and we've been talking about it a lot this year. This this concept of two Americas, the two Americas, uh, the the one Amer, what's left of America, and the left America. And it's not the conversations about the latest bat crap crazy thing that somebody said on CNN or MSNBC or the 
latest just stupid um, criticism from the New York Times about whatever, you know, fill in the blank. It's not those things that underscore this concept of two Americas. It's conversations like this and it's numbers like those that you just pointed out that there is this ginormous market, a ginormous market for this type of content to be filled there's a there that that's more than a niche that that's more than a niche and you got to have a niche um you know and with any business but that's a lot more than a niche right there those numbers you would think Mm -hmm. and yet the fact that it hasn't been filled yet youtube kids is uh that's i've i've read articles and stories about that holy cow that that can be a black hole there's there's definitely uh you know a, a role that can be filled here by a company if they want to but the fact that it has not been filled yet there's either um, there's there's a few options. One of it, which is just uh, a collective. Oh, hey, there you know, wait, there's not. We didn't do our market research. That's why I here. asked him the questions yeah. I asked. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense why yeah. this is not being filled. Or two, it's just you know what we just don't like that market, so well, we're not going to do anything about right. it. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't put out content that we would want just to make money off of us, and then just turn right around and then use that to fund the 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 smut you know, content that they'd prefer to do anyway. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And so that's why I asked him, do they, do they just not get it? Or is it really just, if, if, you know, if we can't do a front door uh, you know, infiltration of your, of, your, of your belief system, we're just not interested, especially when you look at those with those uh, kinds of numbers. By the way, if you want to try this, all right, um, go Minnow, M-I-N-N-O, GoMinnow.com. G-O-M-I-N-N-O is where you can go uh, if parents, if you want to try this as a free free trial with you and your kids. GoMinnow.com. We'll come back. Hour number two, some fake news or not. And then I'm going to talk about Superman. But I'm going to do it in a way that I think you're going to find, even if you don't care about the character, you're going to find it noteworthy with what's happening in the culture today. More in a moment. Stay tuned. And we're back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace, and you are you. You can let us know who you are if you wanted to give us a call at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up at the bottom of the hour... I maybe maybe because it's just something that's near and dear to me that I'm blowing this out of proportion. But I really believe that what I read over the weekend in Variety, and I only read it because I saw it trending on on Twitter, and it's about one of my favorite topics. And so they baited me; they got the click. But I'm glad that I did. It was a worthwhile read, and it, it's Variety, which is one of the trade publications for Hollyweird talking about how Warner Brothers is, is, is stifled, unsure of what to do with Superman as a property. And I, I really think that's a metaphor for a lot of what is wrong in our culture today. And I know I'm probably, it's, it's because it's my boyhood thing. I'm probably blowing it up out of proportion, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take my best shot at, at trying to get you to at least see it somewhat my way here. We do some Pop Culture Tuesday at the bottom of the hour. 
But first, it is fake news or not. Brought to you by our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com. If you want to take advantage of uh, low plunging mortgage rates and a booming economy, great. But make sure you do so with a real estate agent you can trust. Someone whose track record for success has been fully vetted, as has been their knowledge of the marketing uh, of the community that you're buying and or selling in, as well as a demonstrated application of professional courtesy that they return calls, messages when they promise they're not going to they're going to do their best not to make too many last minute requests. They have been violated that three times already now. So don't take for granted that you can find an agent that checks all three of those boxes because there's other, there's other referral services out there. But often the premise of those is helping agents to find clients. What's different about real estate agents I trust is it's about finding an agent worthy of having you for a client. So if you're anywhere in the country right now within the sound of my voice and you're looking for a real estate agent, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. To fake news or not, we go. And again, for those of you that are new, why aren't you talking about what was on CNN last night? Because I don't know. Because like the vast majority of you, I don't watch it. Just like I don't know what was on Russia Today yesterday. And I don't know what's on Al Jazeera right now. We don't sit around here fact-checking the uh, propaganda arms of, of foreign hostile powers We're far more interested in whether or not the people and platforms that claim to be representing what's left of America are telling us the truth. So I have five clips set up for you and Aaron, Todd, you two will then decide. Do you believe these are fake news or not? You guys ready to go? Always. Yeah. All right, let's begin with it's a hoax. Because the whole thing is a hoax. Everybody knows it. All you have to do is look at the words of the Ukrainian president that he just issued. And you know it's a hoax. It's an absolute disgrace what they're doing to our country. Trump there saying it's an absolute disgrace what Democrats are doing to the country. The whole impeachment is a hoax. Aaron, fake news or not? Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely real news. It was always going to be a hoax. Um, at, at least that's 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 what it seems like. Now, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, the Russian collusion thing was uh, a better or worse hoax than this one. There are better hoaxes than others. The um, oh, what was that? What, what was Geraldo Rivera? Oh, Al Capone's the vault. The Al Capone's. You weren't even a, alive for that. That was a nice pr- poll. You know, that was. A do you remember good- watching that live? I do. I do. Yeah, Yeah. that was supposed to be a big deal, right? It was not. Yeah, yeah. pretty much a metaphor for his entire career. But continue on. Yeah, no, there are some hoaxes that are better than others. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it certainly seems like it's a a hoax at this point. So I would say that's uh, that's real news. Speaking of hoaxes, back to Geraldo. Stop and think about when the pinnacle of your career was getting your ass beat. Think about that. That is the pinnacle of his career was getting his ass beat by white supremacists on his own own show. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a bad beat, man. When when the apex of your career is you got your ass beat, that, that's that's a bad beat. Anyway, Todd, your thoughts. You got it. He th- when it came down to what he switched over news networks because he believed. I mean, from a patriotic sense of duty. I mean, we can't go just go totally kneecap Peraldo, can we? Yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. Sorry. What was I'm the sorry, question which, again? What, what show is this? <laughs> yes, you do know where you're working, correct? Right. <laughs> that is uh <laughs> Yeah, that is not fake news. And this is really, I am in the territory of where I was of Kavanaugh on this. If they, from the get-go, and in their own words, they said, and in, the, in, in like Hollywood cackling 
quotes of like the uh, what the 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 impeachment has begun. The, the the deep state will now move into action. They, 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 there really is this thing out there. I am the impeachment. Yes, <laughs> and if you if they really you have if they will do this to the president of the United States. What do you think their plans are for you? That's why it's important of fighting this thing. And people, you know, call you a Trumpkin for it. Whatever. Who the hell cares? This is really important. This is perhaps the most important fake news to fight, even if it involves the likes of Donald Trump, who's not fun fighting for. We all know that. But this is deeply wrong. Clip number two. Is it time to fight the drug cartels? Watch this. No, it doesn't surprise me. We know the Mexican cartels are heavily armed. And look, the Mexican law enforcement, you know, I appreciate the bravery with, with some of these uh, men in law enforcement, but they're not well-trained, they're not well-equipped, and they certainly don't have the expertise at dismantling large criminal organizations like the U.S. law enforcement does. We've proven that in Panama and Noriega. We've proved it in Colombia with, with Chapo. The United States can go down to Mexico and help them address this crisis once and for all. So Tom Homan there, Fox News contributor, the argument he's making is, we, hey, we, we can send SWAT teams in. We're, we're going up against what are militarily, militarily outfitted drug cartels with the best weaponry short of WMDs that you can acquire on a black market. There's, we got no shot here. Um, and so we should send in instead the best military fighting force on the planet and eradicate uh, these cartels, similar to what we did uh, to Noriega in Panama, which I think was right around the year you were born, I think is when that happened, uh, Aaron. What do you think, Todd? Fake news or not there? I am always part of, of uh, with like the war in Iraq. Uh, if, if America has the might to vanquish evil beyond our borders, I, you can talk to me. I, I'm never like... Your problem, that, that'll that never be me. Uh, but uh, it's fake news what he says at the very end. That's the problem. When he says once and for all, that's that's where your reach exceeds your grasp. You, you, the Bible promises evil will always be with us. It might be the right thing to do to go down there. And it might, it might stop it for quite a long time. But don't oversell it. The, the truth is is always good enough. You don't have to go beyond it. So that's the problem I take uh, umbrage with. It's too utopian to say we can take care of it once and for all. Yep. It's fake news. It's it's total fake news. Uh, and I'm coming at this from another another angle as well. He talks about this in the context of helping Mexico, as if Mexico wants this to be over with. Guys, they gave up they gave up their right to have any say in this in this uh, arena. A long time ago. Okay, they're a third world country. If they really wanted to stop this, they gave up their they gave up their credibility on this a long time ago. I mean, and and he is right in one thing that maybe maybe the the odd uh, Mexican law enforcement officer really and I should say I should maybe give it a little bit more credit than that. Yes, they're not they're not armed to the teeth like Americans are, but good freaking gravy. This is another. I mean. If we're not going to build the wall, we should just annex Mexico. So in that respect, yeah, send the military in, but but send the military in to actually take the country over. Short of that, uh, helping the Mexicans, they they don't want they don't want this to be done. 
you bring up a really good point. So I want to ask you a question along those lines. If, mm-hmm. if we make this the most obvious case possible, forget Trump, put Obama back in office. And if Obama decided because of a clear and present danger that he just he got, he went full Pakistan, like Pakistan, I'm going across that border. I'm not warning him. I'm getting bit Laden. If Barack Obama did that to Mexico and these cartels, what would you think about that? I'm all in. Yeah, I'm probably I mean, I, think I, I, I am have, too. I have, this is one of those issues where I've I've tried to convince myself for many many years it cannot be this simple. Okay, there there must be something I'm missing, and because the, the alternative answer to why we would not unleash the most devastating fighting force in the history of humankind on organizations that are literally importing it's destitution, clearly evil, it's clearly evil, evil. Yes. wickedness that goes on See, for I've, generations, why we wouldn't do this, okay? What, what, is, what is more of See, a threat right now? Th- right now, right this minute, what is more of a threat to the safety and security of any of the families that are watching and listening to us right now? These drug cartels or Hamas, well, it's at least equal. At, at least. It's at, at least, least equal. Yeah. At least equal. Yeah. See, I've, I've heard the theory posited in, in response to what you're saying right now is that if we really do secure the border, like really secure it, like even uh, like every, every possible measure, you know, and we still are not going to be perfect. But if we do 75 to 85 percent better than what we are doing right now. Mexico will become a political pressure cooker and end up as some sort of communist government because they rely so much. Uh, most of the country does so much. Then you on, annex them. You treat them exactly like the, yeah. they're the Virgin Islands. Then you, you, you they're a territory. Then they've got plenty of mineral deposits and oil deposits there. I mean, then then you just do that. Then I'm not opposed to even that, by the way. But to me, I one of the things I'm uncomfortable with in this conversation is. Whenever I've studied it, I cannot come up with good reasons not to do this. And I'm left with, so we abandoned Iraq, and yet we're still in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is not in the Middle East, by the way. So we're still, we abandoned Iraq, which borders Iran, gave that up to essentially become a satellite state of Iran. And, and there was a time that it, was, it looked like it was going to become the beachhead for, the, for, for ISIS, when that was that was the primary uh, the original primary front to push back against ISIS right was was in Iraq so we gave up Iraq which is in the heart of the of the Middle East and the Muslim world we gave that up with all of its oil we gave it up and let it become a satellite state of Iran and all these years we've stayed in Afghanistan which has been the Cleveland of of of, of it, it's been Cleveland, the Cleveland of countries, the Lake Erie of countries for thousands of years, thousands of years. Why? And I hate, I hate, I hate this debate because I can only come up with one answer. And, and, I, and, and man, I, I hate saying stuff like this. One has poppy fields and the other doesn't. I, I, and, and, and rich folks like the poppy fields. So that's why we're going to stay there. I mean, if you were going to choose just just blind taste test, if you're going to choose a country to just have our soldiers stick around for 20 years being glorified parking attendants, 
because of their strategic value. Iraq or Afghanistan, binary choice, Todd, go. Iraq. It's not, it's not even, you're not even thinking twice about this. Are you even thinking three seconds long, more than three seconds about it? That's, which is also why I asked you the question about Mexico. That's yeah. exactly so, right. So that brings us into this, this conversation. We, if, 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 if what Tom Homan is saying there is true without the fanciful, because, yeah, we got rid of Manuel Noriega, but did we get rid of, you know... Right, that's my point. You yeah. know, uh, Latin American dictators? Yeah. No, we just got rid of just this one. Just be pragmatic. One. Don't yes. be utopian. Okay. But let's just say we got rid of these cartels. That there would just they we'd have con- cartels in Honduras. We'd ha- but we could get rid of these Mex this particular Mexican cartel. If because by the way, if you couldn't, if the U.S. military cannot eradicate Mexican drug cartels, then I, I have yeah. no idea why we think we have any chance against anything, ra- anything yes. for that matter. Okay, but but then tell me why we would not do it then. Tell me tell me why. I, I, and I and the only rational explanation I can come up with is. The same people who know that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself like cocaine and buy most of the heroin. And that's why we don't do it. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I, the same people who visited Epstein Island, me likey. That's why we don't do it. I, I, I don't know. Do you know another answer? I can't come up with one. E, I'm, I'm to email me, steve at stevedace.com, if you've got another answer other than that. Because I hate answers like that because they sound like Alex Jonesy low-lying fruit. But, you know, we're big believers in Occam's razor around here. And so usually the answer that requires the simplest amount of assumptions has to be true, right? So if you've got a better Occam's razor answer than we're still in Afghanistan and we left Iraq, which has oil because we care more about the poppy fields than we do the oil. And we, we have allowed the drug cartels in Mexico because the same people that visited Epstein Island are buying most of the cocaine and heroin. Then I don't, I, if you've got another answer than that, by golly, I'd love to hear it. Cause I hate that answer. You should, I just st- don't know another one. You should start asking weird questions when this thing with Afghanistan is the longest military engagement in yeah. American history. You should ask some weird questions. Yes. For what reason? Well, the Taliban might come back. You mean to tell me we could not rid the world of the word Taliban in, 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 in negative three seconds, but we're going to win a trade war with China? See, this is where you got to start asking yourself just simple common sense questions like this. And prove Mark Zuckerberg right that people just ought to see information and think for themselves. You mean to tell me you really believe we're going to win a trade war with China? But if the Taliban were to come back, we couldn't make them wish their daddy wore a condom that night in a second or two. Really? Then what the hell are we paying for the Pentagon for in this Department of Defense? What's it there for then? Maybe really all it is there for is its diversity program and training madness. I I cannot believe we could not. We could not send the Taliban back to a pre-Muhammad Arab world. Okay. Why do we have more intelligence on Pakistan than we do Mexico? Yes. I don't know. I'd like to come up with answers to this other than this is the stuff of CD documentaries at the end of your Amazon catalog that no one watches. Okay. And I hate stuff like this, but I hate lying to myself even more. And so I don't, that's why we don't have this conversation more often. I'm very uncomfortable with it. I got uncomfortable and I could sense what you were going to ask me. Okay, because all of the answers to this are just really bad. You're welcome. And you know, I don't like the Kobayashi Maru. Let's get to our third clip here. Chuck Todd, journalisming with Joe Kennedy. When does opinion 
become fact? It, does 17 intelligence services saying it? Does every Western intelligence ally saying Russia did this? I, I'm just sort of confused. At what point is it no longer an opinion for you? I don't think it's an opinion. I think it's a, pa- a fact. I believe the reporting by the political magazine. You just I said Fiona Hill. By the you just said Fiona Hill gave an opinion. I believe the report. I believe the reporting by the Financial Times. I believe the reporting by the Washington Examiner. Uh, you should read the articles, Chuck. They're very well documented. And I believe that a Ukrainian district court in December of 2018 uh, slapped down several Ukrainian officials for meddling in our election as a violation of Ukrainian law. Now, I didn't report those facts. Reputable journalists reported those facts. Does that mean that, they, that Ukrainian, the Ukrainian uh, leaders were more aggressive than Russia? No, Russia was very aggressive, and they're much more sophisticated. But the fact that Russia was so aggressive does not exclude the fact that President Poroshenko yeah. uh, actively worked for Secretary Clinton. Now, if I'm wrong, and if actively all these journalists for Secretary, are wrong, I mean, my goodness, wait a minute, Senator Kennedy... You now have the president of Ukraine saying he actively worked for the Democratic nominee for president. I mean, now come on. I mean, I got to put up. You realize the only other person selling this argument outside the United States is this man, Vladimir Putin. This is what he said on November 20th. Thank God nobody is accusing us anymore of interfering in U.S. elections. Now they're accusing Ukraine. Well, let them sort this out among themselves. You just accused a former president of Ukraine. You've done exactly what the Russian operation is trying to get American politicians to do. Are you at all concerned that you've been duped? No, because you just read the articles. Do you believe... Enjoy. Fake news or not, Aaron. Why do I have to go first on this one? Um, I, I'll go first. I have, I have, I, I, ha- everything there, every, everything. Oh, I give this answer more and more. This is Schrodinger's fake news or not. Yes, it is both fake news and not fake news. All at the same time, I believe we, we get we, in these conversations this, yes. so so many times where it's just like, okay, there's Ukraine, there's Russia, there's Vladimir Putin, there's the president of the Ukraine, there's there's uh, Kennedy, there's it's just I, so how, I it, it, it's there's there is no there is there, there, it, so if I understand if I understand Chuck Todd's argument, Todd, Chuck Todd's argument is, um, why aren't you buying that Russia tried to interfere with the election, which Joe Kennedy says he believes. And then Joe Kennedy says he also cited what happened in a district court in Ukraine, which convicted members of convicted some native Ukrainians of attempting to meddle in the U.S. election. He cites that. And then Chuck Todd is incensed that he is citing that because that also therefore aligns him with Vladimir Putin, who he, Chuck Todd uses as a source to criticize Joe Kennedy. Uh, that's the same Vladimir Putin who denies ever engaging in the election interference that Chuck Todd cannot believe Joe Kennedy won't acknowledge which Joe Kennedy actually did. That's that's the summary. What we that is not we're going to need to rename this segment Hegelian dialect oh. or not. That's what we're going to need to rename this segment. Well, you literally just watch the thesis and the antithesis merge into one narrative yeah. in real time. Todd, have at it. Well, that last part in particular. Steve, what what color is the sky? 
uh, pea soup, blue, but, green. But, well, Hitler also thought Russian, it was blue. Why Russian. are you just like yes. Hitler? That's what Chuck Todd tried to do there. Yeah, I get that from people all the time. I can't believe that uh, you like something that so-and-so. So yeah. if so-and-so thought that um, that mint chocolate chip ice cream yes. was not good, I should stop eating it. That's what Chuck Todd just tried to pull there, particularly at the, at the end. And that's why this is fake news. Uh, uh, with a lot, Most of the first part, Aaron's exactly right. It's, it's both at the same time. But you have to realize who you're dealing with if you're Joe Kennedy. So the right answer right away is first... You look at Chuck Todd and you say, you go full uh, Jerry Maguire. You are hanging on by a very thin thread, Chuck. And I dig that about you because it's going to drive him nuts. It's going to drive him actually nuts. And then you said, oh, to the question about when does opinion become a fact? Well, I I turn the question around on you because you guys are the expert on that. Chuck, anytime your mouth opens up. <laughs> That's when an opinion comes back. I've got to defer to you guys yes. here at NBC News with Matt Lauer's rape dungeon, Chuck. On you know, when opinion yes. becomes fact, and fact becomes an opinion, by all means, regale us yes. with 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 your deep subject matter expert knowledge on this particular Any topic. T- Listen, I, dude, you, if he had done that. Oh, yeah. I don't even care what Joe Kennedy's liberty See, score is. I would vote for him for any office he ever ran for, See, ever. that's the Mike Leach of the Senate right there. Yeah. The dude looks like Mike Leach. Sometimes he sounds like it's Mike Leach. It's a great Leach. analogy. Uh, that's that's what but I come he, to expect from He him. still missed an opportunity. I mean, you, you can't... It's not that you never ask answer a question and you go in full-on snark, but it's clear that Chuck... This was not whatever version of Chuck that actually on our show, I think multiple times before, you've pointed yeah. out has been legit on a particular issue. And he gave, issue. He gave me an opportunity on the immigration issue correct, correct. to come on yes. and meet the press as a single exactly. guest and actually give That's right. That's our right. perspective on this unfettered. And I've always been very grateful but for that. The instant, <laughs> you know that, that that's not that Chuck who's part of that uh, yeah. interview. So you don't you don't pretend he's a real journalist. That is very well said, both of you. How about feeding Trump's voters feed off the negativity? Watch this. For the last three years, Brian, none of this stuff has panned out. And that's why these polls don't move on impeachment. Is The people just don't trust what they're hearing anymore. And the thing is, Jesse, they don't follow it like we follow it. We follow it every day. You know, you're doing the five, you're doing the show, we're all over it. You take one hour off, we're onto it. But if you travel the country and I have a chance to do that, uh, with the book tour in particular, I go to Oklahoma, go to Nebraska, go to Texas. They're not following it. And so they don't get upset. They're not changing their mind. In fact, when they view it, it has made the Trump supporters more determined. It made the the ambivalent Trump supporters more determined because they see an unfairness to it. Fake news or not, Todd? That's not fake news. I I fundamentally believe that. Now, uh, that last part, even ambivalent voters, how far they go, how far do they go from not voting for Trump to voting for... I'm not sure how many. And when we're talking about elections that are so tight, that matters. But the premise of that is absolutely true. Aaron? Yes. And I don't know if Kilmeade realizes that he's basically saying the same thing that we say on a lot of occasions with this impeachment thing. If you are paying attention, the ones who are who were going to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump all the more. And the ones who were not are are not going to. Now, the, the, the sticky part is the ambivalence there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure that I buy that completely. But the, as Todd said, the premise of, of where Kilmeade is working, uh, working from with that little, um, with that little dialogue, uh, I think that's 100% not fake news. I, I think Brian is correct. Here's, here's a follow-up question. If, if the opposite were occurring, 
Do you think that same panel would say so? Be more specific. The app. If, if the if if it was if there was data out there showing that it was softening oh. Trump's support, would that same panel tell you so? No. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they would either. Kamala Harris just dropped out. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, she's oh. it, she's out. That remember we, we're never speaking of that ever again. That didn't happen. Scrub the tapes. You, don't know what you. I have about. no idea what you're talking about. We have one more uh, clip here. Could Trump really get 40% of the Latino vote next year? And, of course, the person postulating this is going to bring us full circle. He's standing up for the taxpayers and the citizens saying, if you want to come here legally, come here legally. That's not a target of Latinos. And, in fact, I was just at a rally of his recently. A lot of people in the Latino community support the president because they came here legally. That's a big difference. It, there is a big difference, and I, you know, I was with the president in McAllen, Texas. Half the Latinos there were for him. The other half is against. My point, Pete, is simply that I believe, knowing this president as long as I have, decades, being around Trump Tower long before he ever contemplated running for president, seeing the Latinos in every position, executives, uh, from executive to elevator operator, I know how he uh, you know, has such affection for Latinos. He can do so much more to increase. He got 28% of the Latino vote last time. I think he's got a chance, as I said, to get 40%. How? DACA, the Dreamers, they, the president has expressed support for them. He just Fake news or not, Aaron? Uh, that is, yeah. I mean, that, that uh, boy, he really, really sold me right there. Um, because... Uh, because I, I think a lot of Latinos have also been very close to Donald Trump in Trump Tower before, especially uh, all of all of the one all of all of them. Yes, all of them see the same things that uh, Geraldo Rivera have have said there. So I think that's uh, definitely definitely um, um, definitely a possibility. And I I have no idea what that was that we it, it, it that we just watched. It looked like the panel was trying to talk him out of that. In the great, in the larger clip, and Geraldo R- Rivera, he, isn't he supposed to be the token liberal on Fox or something? I, 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 I couldn't follow it either. That's exactly why I, I chose the clip. I had I just, no idea what it was saying. And, and I just, I, I couldn't I, follow it. It's fake news. It wasn't even particularly Trumpian analysis. That's analysis that uh, people have been having about Republicans yeah, and the Hispanic community. That's exactly right. The, stop me if you've heard this before. If Republicans gave in on amnesty, they'd get more Latino voters. Maybe after that flag burning amendment. Yeah, I think that that, that sounds vaguely familiar, Todd. <laughs> should, should we get Marco oh. Rubio on the line? <laughs> President Marco Rubio. Forty uh, percent. You know, um, Republicans have averaged around thirty percent of the Latino vote since we started tracking this in 1980. In the high water mark, George W. Bush, I think, hit forty percent once, or maybe it was like 38 or 39. That's the that's the high water mark. So there's Geraldo Rivera saying essentially what every GOP consultant ever has ever said. Yeah. Yeah. That you, if that, that if that's that's you know what? Here's I didn't even realize it at the time and now I I'm in real time I've figured out why I chose that clip. Because it really just goes to show things haven't really changed politically. They, the fundamentals have not changed. Okay? The 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 cake is still being baked the same way. It's just the frosting is zanier, right? Isn't this further yeah. proof? It's got multicolored sprinkles on it now. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's not, and, and don't fall for the Superman ice cream, kids, like I did. It's not all the different flavors. I really believe that. 
It's just six different food dyes. I didn't know that. And now I feel cheated. More in a moment. If you are one of the millions of Americans struggling every day with chronic pain as a result of too much inflammation in your body, relief could be just one click away when you go to relieffactor.com. Uh, this is a product that uh, I started using earlier this year, and I, I think it's going to be a part of my daily regimen uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm really excited about the results I've seen, and I was dubious too. It can't really be that good. And then I tried it. And it is. And there's there's other pain relievers and, 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 and the like out there on the market that work as well. Here's what's unique, though, about Relief Factor, okay? Four key all-natural ingredients, and it's 100% drug-free, right? And, and that tells you right away that the people who put this together understand that your body is not a machine, but a living organism, a created being. Not to mention, they're doctors. It's physician created. So, you know, these aren't people that are, you know, just, you know, they're into, you know, natural health and stuff. And hey, I'm, I don't mind some of that stuff too. But these are people that actually work in the, the modern medical field who also understand that drugs only go so far and that your body was built, was created to push back on inflammation. And that's where this formula for relief factor comes in. It helps your body do exactly that. If you think I'm blowing it out of proportion now, like I used to think others were, here's what you can do. Try it for a dollar a day. What do you have to lose for three weeks for a dollar a day? 20 bucks, except maybe, finally, hopefully, the pain. Get the three-week quick start at relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. So over Thanksgiving weekend, I saw this story trending on Twitter. I decided to click on it and read it. And, uh, I, and I think it would be a good conversation for Pop Culture Tuesday here this week when we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. And this is a story by Variety, which like the Hollywood Reporter is one of the main Bibles of the, uh, of the movie industry. And they talk about what Warner Brothers may or may not have planned for the future of the, the DC extended universe, cinematic universe. And a lot of it, uh, the, one of the lengthiest portions of the article uh, talks about how Warner Brothers is struggling with what to do with Superman. And how to make him more relatable to a modern audience. I want to I want to I want to talk about this for a second because I I think this is in a small way a metaphor for a lot of what's happening with us culturally at the moment. And I want to I want to take you back to this time of year. Almost exactly, actually, it was Christmas nineteen seventy nine. When Superman the motion picture came out. Todd, Google with the exact release date. I wonder if we're like in the 40th anniversary week of that movie being revealed or being uh, released. And um, I, I loved Superman as a kid. And I used to wear a towel. Actually, it was 1978, Christmas 78 when the movie came out. I was five. I used to take our bath towels. December 15th, 1978. Yeah, so we're not too far away from the anniversary of it, right? I used to take the bath towels 
it, it would drive my mom nuts. And then she thought it was adorable. She should let me get away with it. I'd take the bath towels. I tuck them into the back of my shirt as a collar and as a cape. And I'd, I'd wear this around the neighborhood. Like I was Superman. And so in that scene in man of steel, I know. where little Clark Kent grabs the thing off the, yep. off the clothesline and does the same thing with the, with the sheet. I, I had to choke back, man. Cause it reminded me of what I used to do as a kid. They nailed that. Okay? But do you, before the movie, do you, the trailers for, were so good. Not only the regular, but then they had the, the father and the real Jarrell and Kevin Costner, um, yep. uh, both doing a, a speak over of, yep. I mean, they nailed everything yep. about that in the way you're talking about. And I've talked before about my own childhood, how it had high highs and really high highs and really low lows. And I remember going down to the old River Hills theater here in Des Moines. I was five and a half years old. And I, man, I, I can tell you, I can, that was 41 years ago. I can remember, this is one of the, I can remember this like it was 10 minutes ago. And sitting in that seat next to Dave, waiting for this movie to begin. And the opening sequence where the, the girl is reading from the original action comic, Superman. And then the John Williams score, doom, doom, the drums kick in. And when that emblem blazes across the screen, I, you know, I, I, I was speechless. And over the years, I've watched a lot about the making of that movie behind the scenes. And when they when they put out a, a box set a few years ago where they, you know, did the refits and stuff of all those old the movies and the they released the Richard Donner cut of Superman two because he's who did the first Superman movie. And um he uh he got into a production dispute with the Salkins who were producing the movies, the first two movies, and and got fired. And so somebody else came along, another director came along and finished Superman two. And so I I've watched because of just how influential Superman was for me. I did not have the best masculine role model growing up. He was my altruistic masculine role model. He was. Um, and I, I read every comic I could, every book I could. I mean, I was obsessed with Superman. And um, one of the things, a couple of things I learned about the character with all the research and behind the scenes stuff that I've read and watched over the years. You know, so this this is a character created by two Jewish guys, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster, and they created him to essentially be um, a secular takeoff of Moses and and Christ uh, in, intentionally. I mean, the origin where he is sent in a ship, a doomed civilization, Moses put in, you know, put in the vessel and placed in the water to escape the persecution from Pharaoh. Okay, um, that he does these things altruistically as a part of who he is, as his base nature. And remind us when they, the, the movie was 78. Remind us when the, the, he was created, the 1930, actual character? 1938 was when the comic book debuted. Yeah. That was one heck of a year. You want to talk about a year for pop culture. That was the year that The Wizard of Oz came out, was in 1938. That was the year Gone with the Wind came out, was in 1938. And that was when Superman debuted in, in Action Comics number one. Um, and so this was intentional. This was in, this was intended to be a unifying, altruistic, messianic, delivering, del delivering kind of a character. 
that it was an intentional archetype of that. Yeah, it's not as if the Jews didn't have anything to worry about at that time in history right, right there either. Right, right. Yeah, not much going on. Um, when the movie was made in the 70s, so, and I get this from, these are Richard Donner's own words. Lapsed Catholic kid, secular kid, borderline atheist, maybe an agnostic. The previous movie he had done, The Omen. That was his breakthrough movie as a film director. And, and, and in that movie, I've talked in the past, how that movie kind of invented a lot of the, the mass marketing and advance, you know, um, billing and stuff that we take for granted nowadays. And Lucas saw what Warner Brothers was doing with The Omen and went to 20th Century Fox and said, we need to be doing that with my movie. Well, Richard Donner, that was, the first, that was his breakthrough blockbuster film. So he, got, he, he, he had just gotten done doing a movie about the Antichrist. And then they hand him Superman. You could not have a more opposite subject matter. And he's a 60s hippie, liberal. He's, he's, he's very cynical about the era coming out of Watergate and all of that stuff. And a lot of, and the country was really still divided about the sexual revolution and civil rights and all those sorts of things. And, and he said he struggled with, how do I make this relatable? And I'm going to kind of put words in his mouth because we're pressed for time. He realized this was a false choice. It wasn't about making Superman relatable for the Cosmo reading 70s, late 70s audience. It was about making him inspirational. It's not about making him relatable. It's about making him inspirational. And that's why the first half of the film is him on the farm. And you grow an appreciation for the, the simple life that he lived growing up in Kansas. And they never, he never leaves that persona now that they put him right smack dab in the middle of Metropolis. But instead, without, without coming across as judgy, they use his earnestness. And you're, almost, you're almost convicted watching this movie how he assumes the best in people when we all know better. And it's done in a way that you're kind of laughing at him for being this innocent and naive while feeling kind of guilty at the exact same time. It, it really should kind of be like this, shouldn't it? I mean, why, why, what, 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 what is it like this for? That Christopher Reeve was chosen specifically because he project, he could project that image. He could pull it off. And that was the code that they cracked. You, have, you know, if you go back and look at the movies that were very popular in the 70s, a lot of disaster films, The Exorcist, The Omen, you know, there was a lot of fixation. There, the number one trend in horror movies in the 70s, satanic cults. There was a lot of existential angst about the future of the country, just as there is now. And... Warner Brothers made that movie too. They've, had, they've owned the film rights to Superman for all of our lives. The, the fact that they don't know what to do with him as a character, and they think it's because they're struggling to make him relatable, that's the false choice. It's, he's not a relatable character. He's an inspirational one. He's an aspirational one. You're not, you're not supposed to think he's your buddy. He's your hero. That that's that. There, in a way, 
And I think it's a good parallel because Superman was created to be a secular messianic character. In a way, they can't figure out why audiences don't want Joel Osteen Superman. And they can't figure out how to make Joel Osteen Superman sell. When the audience is what they really want, is they want a hero. They want, they want to put somebody right, they want, they want someone that will land right in the middle of all this division and cynicism and, and inspire us to look and aim higher. The, the first line of the Superman mantra, look up in the sky. Aim higher. Look higher. These were the intentional parallels that Jerry, that Joel Schuster uh, and Jerry Siegel wrote, did this on purpose. None of this is an accident. Now, I happen to think Man of Steel is a great film. Agreed. I don't think Man of Steel is the problem. I think they nailed it, actually. Um, and I think it was the right amount of seeing him grow into this persona. And, and where does a boy from Kansas, when his, when his daddy's gone, when his daddy's gone, where does a boy from Kansas go to get guidance, probably? More times than not. Where does he go? And where does, where does Clark Kent church. go in the film? He goes to church. Daddy's not home, so go talk to my other dad. See if he's got the answers. Now, I, I think they pretty much nailed it. Where this went off the rails was when they, was when they brought him down to our level in Batman versus Superman. Now, I happen to think Batman versus Superman is very well done as well. Also true. But that's where, the, that's where this went off the rails. Is they, they, made it, they rushed to humanize him. To, you know, where, where Lex Luthor says, now God bows to my whim. Okay. I mean, the storytelling that Zack Snyder is doing there is so meta, man. It's so on point. It's brilliant. Here's the problem, though. It's too early. You needed, to, you needed one more Superman film where now that he has fully stepped into this role, we needed to see him own that role. Like, imagine if there was no movie Return of the Jedi. And we went right from the Empire Strikes Back to the angst-driven, what's, what's the point of it all, Luke Skywalker of The Last Jedi. Even if you liked that film, and you didn't, and I do, but even if you liked it, wouldn't you feel like, I mean, what was the one, big, one of the biggest complaints of The Last Jedi? You didn't get to see Luke Skywalker become the what? The master. The hero, the master, yeah, yes. Yeah. Now, I think at the end he is the hero, but, but that's one of the biggest complaints, right? See, there needed to be one. There needed to be another Superman film. You needed to see him fully now step into the role that he is assuming here, and it's just a, and 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 have him face a challenge within that role. And then, if you make Batman versus Superman, where you bring him down to our level, then I think your franchise is on track. But this is begging the initial question. They didn't yeah. know how to, what that they was didn't supposed know what to, to do. look like. Yeah. So, so, so they had, they, 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 they did, they showed the right path to him becoming and assuming 
this role. His father sends him to earth intentionally to point people to the way. Again, these parallels are all obvious. Richard Donner, as a lapsed Catholic agnostic, embraced this. He literally took lines out of the Gospel of John and put them in the script. The son becomes the father. The father becomes the son. That, that stuff's right out of the Gospel of John. Okay? And it was even in the trailers to the movie when we were kids. All right? This is the mistake Warner Brothers made. Is that they were in... They they made too they were in too much of a rush to bring to bring Superman down to our level, and so when it finally happened, and then when he f- makes the sacrifice, it's not as impactful because we haven't seen him, for lack of a better word, we haven't seen Superman's ascension yet. In Man of Steel, you see Superman come out of the wilderness, out of the forty out of the forty days, and you see Superman stomp the serpent's head, okay, and say, "I'll take the cup." But we don't really see yet what that really means, okay? You know, and that's what's that's where I think this whole thing with DC and everything, that's where it all went off the rails. And to prove I'm right, what do we see in Wonder Woman? What do we see her do? Accept that mantle, right? Sure. And that's what makes that movie great is that she accepts the mantle. As as the as 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 the atone, as the as the substitutionary atonement, if you will, she accepts that mantle, and that's where that movie goes from pretty good to some some awesome sauce. That's that's the problem. It, it, it's we're not any more cynical or jaded than the audiences in the seventies were. I mean, for goodness sakes, yeah, you've got porn and all that stuff on your phone now. This was in the movie theaters in your neighborhoods when you were kids. I remember my I remember driving down streets. Do you remember that era? Your parents telling you, "Hey, don't don't read what was on the movie queue or don't read those posters." Depending on what part of town. Yeah. yeah. We're not more cynical or jaded than they were back then. We're just not. All right? And that's that's the issue here, Todd, is they they're trying to make him relatable when he's meant to be aspirational. And how Donner figured out that out reminds me so much of the conversation you read out loud several years back on before we were on the blaze i'm not sure if it was even the tv show back then but you read out loud the letter from an atheist because it spoke to this and you and to theologian you're just like stop making this all relevant it's boring i want to fight with the real thing that's Mm -hmm. entertaining to me Mm -hmm. it's a challenge i realize i need to live up to whether i believe it or not give me the meat and he was like begging them show me the real god please an atheist was saying and that's why i think this is a metaphor small for our entire culture yeah we keep looking to each other and our think tanks and everything else when we need to look up in the sky. That's where that's where the salvation you're looking for is nigh. See, this was this was uh, I was kind of excited when you queued this up and, and previewed this at the beginning of the show because this is one of those things where it is so obvious. It's Superman. It's Superman. If you have to ask the question, if you have to ask a question like that, then 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 the answer is really really disturbing. Mm-hmm. For all the reasons that you just laid out, but it's so obvious who he is supposed to be analogous to, that if you're asking your question, that just illustrates the spiritual blindness en masse in this country. And it, it just at that point, it just has to be willful. Thank you for tuning in to here today. We'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Until then, John 317.
This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, 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 o